0: In August 30th, 2018, an, uh, an article came out by the New York Times. It was about a man who was seeking restoration for being wrongly locked up. On the screen, you can see two gentlemen. <clears throat> Perhaps to you, they look alike. That certainly was the case because. Nearly two decades ago, Richard A. Jones was convicted of aggravated robbery after being picked up in a lineup by witnesses who said he stole the cell phone in Walmart in Kansas. Mr. Jones argued and maintained his innocence, but he was serving his 19-year sentence, and then somebody said, hey, you look like a guy named Ricky. That resemblance would eventually lead to his freedom. A judge threw out Mr. Jones's conviction after the original witnesses were shown side-by-side photographs of the two men and said they could not tell them apart. Mr. Jones now is seeking to get his life back on track. That was in 2018. In other words, side by side, it became clear that somebody might get mistaken for the other and therefore it could ruin the life of the innocent person just because the innocent person looked too much like the person who was guilty. You know, today, I believe something similar is happening. Happening. That there are right versions of things that are getting a bad rap because they look too similar to the wrong versions of things. Today, if you use the word social justice, you may have a good intent in it. And yet someone else will come up and they will say that sounds too much like and they will vilify what you mean by it. (laughs) Even though what you mean by it is not what someone else means by it. One of the foremost like combatants against social justice, one of the foremost like arguers against some like people who, who are who are out for a justice in society, once stood before a crowd and said, Let me quote Frederick Hayek, who's, again, a philosopher and this legal theorist. He says, the greatest service I can do to my fellow man is to make the speakers and writers everywhere ashamed to ever again employ the term social justice because it doesn't mean what you think it means. And he goes on to go through a great elaborate attack on any notion of someone advocating for a justice in society under the label social justice. I think something similar happens with the word woke. You ask a guy on the corner, what does it mean to be woke? And he'll tell you it means to understand the interplay between history and politics and economics in keeping certain systems or certain injustices in place. Somebody else will get up and teach people, oh, woke is, and then they'll list all the extreme positions on, quote, unquote, the left. And they'll say, that's what it is to be woke, so you don't want to be woke. So people will say, but I don't mean that. And they'll say, well, you sound like that, or you look like that. Another one would be religion. A lot of people say, I don't like religion. I'm not religious. I don't, I'm spiritual, but I'm not into organized religion. Our text this morning is going to tell you that God himself has a problem with a type of religion. But what I'm hoping to do is salvage the good version of religion. James chapter 1, 26 to 27, you don't have to turn there, says if anyone thinks he is religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. That person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. What James says is there's a good religion and there's a worthless religion. If you look in the dictionary, the word religion means the belief and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or gods. What people mean when they say, I don't like religion, I'm not into religion, but they usually want credit for believing in a, a, a transcendent deity. Well, then you're religious, depending on how you define it. Another definition for religion, a particular system of faith and worship. You have a way you worship. No one just worships, you have a way that you worship. So therefore, you have a system of faith and worship. Or another definition, the pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. In other words, people will say, man, he's religious on the, with, with, with his routine. And what that means is I, I take my routine so seriously that people say it's almost like a religion. Because if it's one thing about religion is people give their all to it regardless of what the religion is. So what I'm here to do today is to use a famous passage of scripture, well-known passage of scripture, to highlight a religion that God hates in the effort to make us double down on the religion that is pure and undefiled. My goal is for you to want to be religious, rightly understood, for you to be committed to your religion, rightly understood, and for you to help a world that's throwing religion overboard because next to the doppelganger of whatever man came up with, they're confusing what God came up with with what man came up with. So I'm in the book of Amos chapter 5, and I want to talk about the religion that God hates God hates, firstly, the religion of the self-righteous. The religion of the self-righteous. Look at 18 to 20. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it?" <laughs> Why would you desire the day of the Lord? Now, I already have to explain this because Amos starts off by asking Israel. Amos is a prophet in the 8th century BC. He was a prophet who ministered to what we know as the northern kingdom of or Israel. Again, if you know anything about the Bible, that God's one people were divided into a northern and a southern tribes or northern and southern kingdom. So there's Judah, there's Benjamin, and there's Then there's, again, the ten tribes to the north. Northern Israel is now being addressed and they're being rebuked because though they were prosperous and though things were doing well on the surface, they had specialized in violating the way God wanted things to be carried out. And so he starts by saying, Israel, why is it that you all thirst for something called the day of the Lord? This word desire is a word that actually means to thirst. It's, it's used of sexual passion. You know, we kind of say that today. That's sort of like a slang term, right? They'll say, oh man, look at women thirsting over so-and-so. Or look at men thirsting over her. That's exactly what he's saying. You're thirsting over the day of the Lord. This is the earliest occasion of that phrase, the day of the Lord, And it sort of kind of goes back to this understanding that in a day, a sovereign who was strong enough could defeat his enemies. So the day of the Lord became this popular notion that one day Yahweh would show up and in a moment he would address what was wrong and make things right. I'm going to use uh, the scriptures and show you a couple of reference points in Isaiah 13, verse 6. Well, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. And any time you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the English Bible, it's Yahweh. The day of Yahweh is near. Verse 9. Behold, the day of Yahweh comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and destroy its sinners from it. Verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. Skip down to Joel chapter 2, 1 to 2. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Joel chapter 2 verse 11. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? In other words, the day of the Lord doesn't sound like a good day you would thirst for. The only people who want the day of the Lord are the people who think that the day of the Lord is about God giving somebody else what's due them. But overlooking what God would have to do to them. In other words, the self-righteous. The self-righteous has sins. I'm going to put him out there because he's a public figure. I thought one of the most ironic songs was these hoes ain't loyal by Chris Brown after he beat up and cheated all over on the woman Rihanna and their people I heard ministers say it these ain't loyal I'm like and it'll be by somebody who's a chronic adulterer in other words the self-righteous says I'm not thinking about my sin I'm thinking about somebody else's sin The day of the Lord is when Yahweh would show up and show out. It's an ultimate day of divine justice when through the Lord Jesus, he's going to right all wrongs and make all things right. And so he says, so in other words, you're asking for justice. Why would you thirst for justice, Israel? Have you looked in the mirror lately, Amos says? Do you understand? Have you looked around at the way you do business Yeah, the self-righteous. Why would you want justice? They thought they lived during a time where Assyria, the Assyrian army, was about to come. Some 40 years after this, Assyria would come and completely wipe them out. At the time, they were kind of trying to rub shoulders with Assyria. So they kind of were like Assyria a little bit. And yet they thought that God was going to come and deal with Assyria, but that God would not deal with Israel. It's a day of darkness, not light. This justice that you're asking for, it's unavoidable, it's inescapable, and it is inevitable. He says, it's like if a man was juking a lion and then a bear was there. (laughs) Did a spin around and the bear went by. Then he goes home and says, phew, that was a close call. And then a serpent bites him on the hand. So you thought you got away. It's unavoidable, it's inescapable, and it's inevitable. But Amos wants you to know that it's also impartial. That the justice of Yahweh is impartial. It's an equal opportunity blaster. When God's justice shows up, if justice were to show up, God would not skip over, in the words of Dr. Tony Evans, the church house on his way to the White House. So anybody can get it. 1 Peter 4.17 says it this way. Judgment is to begin at the household of God. It begins with us, Peter says. Which is why when Peter was off on his gospel, Paul stepped to him and said, I oppose them to his face. Because even an apostle like Peter can get it. When the king David committed adultery... Though he's the man after God's own heart, the prophet Nathan went to him and said, you are the man. Because even the king, the one after God's own heart, if he trips, can get it. Moses was called the meekest man on earth and one day he wilded out and he hit a rock when he shouldn't have. Got got twisted and the Bible says that God told him you will not enter the promised land. Because even the meekest man on the planet, when he wows out, can get it. And when the perfect son of God, the Lord Jesus, walked the earth and decided that he would switch place with sinners and he would take on the sins of the world and give them his righteousness, the father, the Bible says, according to Isaiah, it was, he was pleased to crush him. The chastisement that brings you and us peace was laid on him because anybody can get it. Why would you want justice, <laughs> he says, if you looked in the mirror? It's darkness. It's not light. The day of the Lord is gloom with no brightness to it. And so, today I just want to remind you that God hates a religion of people who are self-righteous. Who think others should get what they deserve, but think they should be given mercy. And so, if you ever demand justice, just know that God will give discipline before he gives deliverance and Israel was eligible for it. Earlier in chapter 3 Amos says this, you only have I known of all the families of the earth Israel. And the Hebrew Israelites love to point to this because many of them want you to know that Israel is special and they were, it says it here. You only have I known, that's a word in the Bible that means, do I have this rich relationship with. At that time, he says, of all the families, therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. In other words, it's because you're my people, I must bring the day of the Lord for you too. Now, don't get me wrong. We should want justice. One, justice is from God, and to pursue it is to be like God. If you're taking notes, Isaiah 117 says, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. We should want it and we should pursue it. Proverbs chapter 21, verse three, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to Yahweh than sacrifice. Isaiah 61, 8. For I the Lord love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. So you should want justice. Because it's God's character, it's in God's poet, one of the earliest to make contributions in literary work in America, she noted. In every human breast, God has implanted a principle which we call love of freedom. It is a, it is impatient of oppression and pants for deliverance. There's a reason why we 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 cry out because it's like God and what's like God because we're image bearers has some traces in us. But just know that it's right to understand the day of the Lord as a day of justice, and therefore, you need something to protect you while you cry out for the justice against others. This is where we would give you the gospel. The gospel is that beautiful message. The gospel is the beautiful message that God will rescue people from the justice that they rightly deserve by switching places in Jesus Christ, protecting you from what you deserve. <laughs> In giving you what you do not deserve, which is forgiveness of sins. Every now and then you'll go to the dentist and they will have to take x-rays and they may put a lead vest over you. And the reason why is because they're like these rays, we want the rays to hit your jaw. We just don't want the rays to hit your heart, to hit your joints, to hit your because the, it will get it. <laughs> And so that vest is a protection. The gospel is a protection from God's justice. The gospel gives you grace instead of wrath. God hates the religion of the self-justice, the right self-righteous, so when they wanted justice, they were forgetting that they too were scheduled for justice. But not only that, God hates the religion of the self-focused, the self-focused. Look at 21 to 23. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps I will not listen note the emphasis of the word your everywhere you look it was your he says these are your feasts not mine these are your solemn assemblies these are your burnt offerings your grain offerings your fat and your songs in other words what he's saying is I don't like this because really you've turned worship into something about you rather than worship being about me I've said it before and you probably heard it because I say it in like every other message but John Piper has a great quote. He says, "We love to be God-centered as long as we believe that God is man-centered." The church and our faith, we rig it so that it's about our comfort and our schedule and our entertainment and our attention span and our flavor and what it means to me and we open the Bible and it says, "Well, I think, well, not to me and We make it about us. God says, I hate religion that's about people who are self-focused. Look, look at the strong language that Yahweh. Now, before Amos was talking, here Yahweh speaks in the first person. It's almost like he said, hold on, I speak for myself right now. I hate. Again, before it was like, hey, Amos was like, hey, how come y'all want? Now God says, "Mm -mm, I speak for myself directly. I hate. I despise. I take no delight. I will not accept. I will not look. I will not listen. All I'm saying is this is religion that Yahweh hates. It's not me saying it it is him. Any worship that's about man and not God, he hates. When religion becomes about a program rather than his person, he doesn't like it. Religion that focuses on felt needs of the human rather than the knowledge of the holy, he doesn't like it. Some preachers, they like God's wording, but they use God's wording to communicate their own word. And then they sprinkle the word Jesus on it because they know in this era, that's the magic word, Jesus. But it's like Shamu. One time I went to this place called SeaWorld when they used to have all these killer whales. And the killer whales, and everybody would go to see the killer whales. We ended up regretting it later, but up at that time, we liked it. And you would go to Shamu. And then we learned that Shamu died a long time ago. But they needed the name Shamu to make you come and see it. But really the show goes on without Shamu even being there. For some people, Jesus is not even in the picture. We still use his name because you need the God recognition in order to make people think, oh, this is about Jesus. But Jesus, the show goes on with or without Jesus, whether you know Jesus or not. So God says, in a, times like that, you can hoop, you can holler, you can pray, you can fast, you can praise, get Maverick City, get Kirk, Tamala Man, Tasha Cobb, Todd Delaney, you, you name them, put them up, and I will not listen. I hate, I despise, I take no delight, I will not accept, I will not take away from me, I will not listen. And listen, this is not me. <laughs> I'm talking about the doppelganger that makes people not want the real religion, the real song. The real feast, the real sermon, the real pastor, the real word from God. Burn offerings, cereal offerings, grain offerings. These are actually things that God actually did request. So what is he saying? I want the real version, not the fake. I don't want just the external formality. I want the relational reality. And so blueprint. Blueprint. He hates the religion of the self righteous who think other people's sins are worse than their own. He hates the religion of the self focused. And God hates the religion of the superficial. Verse 24 to 25, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? But let justice roll down. One of the most well-known passages in all of scripture. In fact, people thought that God got it from MLK. <laughs> it was the other way around. <laughs> Amos 525, let justice roll down. In that I had a dream speech, Martin Luther King, he leveraged it. What was he saying? What do you mean let justice roll down in righteousness like a stream? Here's the end campaign. Shout out to the end campaign. It's a call for justice and righteousness. It's the coupling of a, a, a heart to put things in order socially and at the same time as an extension of a righteous heart that's been put right vertically. Ah, this is about justice and righteousness and here's what One commentator said, if there are shades of difference to be discerned, justice puts some slight emphasis on establishing and preserving order in society by righting wrongs and punishing wrongdoers, while righteousness emphasizes the relationships that covenantal society entails and insists that each person in the covenant do all that is necessary to keep the covenant working right. In other words, this is someone who's right with God and therefore they make things right among men it's the end campaign let justice roll down let righteousness come the vertical and the horizontal faithfulness to God and faithful and love of neighbor life and lips creeds that you believe say the creeds but also do the deeds that match the creeds Life and doctrine. The Bible says watch your life, your living, and your doctrine, the theology you talk. Watch both of them closely. Orthodoxy, we say, for the the, the high-minded, and orthopraxy. Rightly ordering myself, man in the mirror, oh yeah, and rightly ordered society. You believe in one God? Yeah, then preach him. You believe that he's holy? then obey him you believe that he's worthy (laughs) then worship him you believe that he's real then push back on false understandings about God and contend for the faith you believe that he died for your sins then repent resist sin and receive forgiveness you believe he's resurrected walk in newness of life justice and vertical and horizontal Now, the image here is not to be missed because the justice, again, that he asked for rolls down like waters, the righteousness like an ever flowing stream. The ever-flowing stream means we shouldn't be sometimey with our justice, sometimey with our righteousness. I'm nice to some people, but I'm not to others. I'm nice to some races, but I'm not to others. I'm nice to some uh, ethnicities, but I'm not to others. I'm nice to some, some saints and not to others. Sometimey, ever-flowing, he says this righteousness should be ever-flowing. I'm good on Sunday, catch me on Monday. <laughs> I'm good when I'm in the church, but when I go home, it's all no holds barred so ever flowing but he also says let it roll down now the question here is in what world does a river roll down or waters roll down well that's because there used to be streams coming down from mountains and as the as it come down from on high the water would come down and it would fill the the, uh, uh, lakes and rivers and streams below so this is a picture of what is up top coming down to fill what's on the bottom in other words what is in God the God of justice what is in God the righteous one comes down to us we don't have to conjure it up let what's in God pour it out fill you up and as a result of filling you up you give it out you become a source of it for others there's a picture perhaps I use this quote because it's my go-to There's a picture about grace and grace is God's goodness that flows in one direction down because it's been rightly noted. You can be gracious only to someone who's inferior. You can love someone who's superior. You can love God, but you can never be gracious to God. But God's grace is his goodness that comes down to us. Let what's in God Come down and fill us justice and righteousness. And that grace has enough power to produce in you and I the justice that's not inherent to us and the righteousness that's not inherent to us one preacher said it this way grace is too commonly regarded as a pleasing sentiment a sofa disposition a welcomed feeling of cozy favor entertained toward us by our God grace is more than a smile of good nature it's not the shimmering face of an illumined lake it's the sunlit majesty of an advancing sea it is a transcendent and ineffable force the outgoing energy of the redeeming personality of God washing against the polluted shores of human need in other words grace is not fuzzies grace is force and and Titus says that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldliness it takes God's goodness to put in you the power to do this justice that you talk of and this righteousness that we seek put it all together God hates the religious of the self-righteous who want the day of the Lord but not for themselves but for their foes he, the self focused people who have feasts and festivals and choirs and jubilees and jamborees and yet God's not even in the picture. And then the superficial where you look like a church on the outside, but when we look for the justice that's true of the church, it seems like it's empty. When we come to you for to see the justice that's in God flow out of you, you have a dam set up so it can't get out. He says that's superficial. Externals. It's forms, but it doesn't have the substance. Now, I want to just say right here that there's an attempt today, again, to do away with church. People like to talk about them and God being cool, but they're not connected to anything of, that's structured. So what they want is formless, foundationless. No authority, just their friends around the couch. Some guy that they kind of like make feel like they've got authority. But if something really were to go down, that person would see that they don't have authority. No accountability. This is no shade if that's the kind of thing that you know people go to. This is just to say that there is a reason why God says I don't want the stuff that God elsewhere says he does want. If you were to go to Exodus 20, 24, I won't have these on the screen, but you would see that God says, An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings. So here God wants burnt offerings. Here God wants peace offerings. Burnt offerings show up with Cain and Abel. Back in Genesis, God was saying, bring me what you got as a burnt offering. Because burnt offerings were consumed as a way to say, all that I have is yours. So he would say, burn the whole offering. Deuteronomy 27, 6 to 7. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. You shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. God says, I want the burnt offerings. I want the peace offerings. And I want the delight and the joy in the relationship present at the same time. Exodus 29 He's telling the children of Israel as they're coming out, the other lamb, offer it twilight." And he says, "And offer it with a grain offering. There's the grain offering. And the grain offering was a way of basically, demonstrating that I'm dependent on, because they were dependent on agriculture, I'm dependent on grain and God is the provider of grain. So I give God some of my grain to demonstrate that I'm thankful and I'm dependent on you who provides the grain. In other words, all of these are expressions of things that Yahweh wants people to know. You're into God, aren't you? It seems like you give him your all. It seems like you bring peace and you share with what you have. You're dependent on him. I mean, again, this is what God does. Ezra 2, 6, 5, just Put it away in your pocket. I'm almost finished. And usually that means I'm not, but I'm really almost finished. Besides, their male, their male and female servants, he says, they had 200 male, female, male and female singers. This is when Ezra, the priest, was organizing the religion. And one of the things they organized was people to sing. First Chronicles 15, 16, put it in your pocket. Look at it later. Appoint their brothers as singers who should play loudly and musical instruments on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. In other words, God, Yahweh's the one who said, come on, appoint some singers and make sure they can sing. And appoint somebody on the keys, make sure they can play. And put somebody in the booth and make sure they can drum. Because I want that. Raise the roof for me. In other words, Yahweh likes that. He, he he prescribes it. But look at this, Isaiah five twelve. They have harp, they have lyre, they have tambourine, they have flute, they have wine at their feast. But they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. There it is. But where's the justice? Where's the righteousness? So I want to push back on the people who throwing church away. Throwing religion away. Throwing the organization of church and religion away. God is the one who commanded gatherings, giving, singing, praising, sermons. And then in 1 Timothy 3.15, he says, let me just write you so you know how you ought to behave in the household of God. You don't just come here and it's whatever. God says, I actually have a way to like, like, and again, I prescribe a way to come to me and to do what you do and to do what you do for my sake. Because it's about me. In Titus... Another one of the people who helped plant churches, it says that Titus was told, Hey, I want you to stay back in Crete and I want you to put in, I want you to put, bring to order what's left. Order it. Right now, it's just a bunch of stuff all over the place, you and God all over the place. Order. And then he says, So start with elders, somebody that's qualified to bring oversight. God wants not just you loving him, but you loving him in the context of me loving him so that the world could say, man, God has a we that loves him. (laughs) Me and Pastor Dahadi talk all the time. Where's the we? Because you could be in this room and not care about anybody else in this room except the group you came in with. And so your we is the people you walk through the door. But what God wants is a we from different sides of the tracks, economic status, people who from different colors, different backgrounds. And when they come together, they like Voltron form a we that God takes the credit for. If you have routine without relationship, eventually it'll lead to hypocrisy because people will see you doing church, but it won't be church. And if you have relationship without routines, eventually you'll lead to heresy because everybody will think what they want to think, do what's right in their own eyes, and it'll be all over the place. There's a pastor named Warren Wiersbe. He says something great. He says, if your lifestyle contradicts the the word of God, you either change your lifestyle or you change the word of God. What people do is they decide they want to do what they want to do, so they change the word of God rather than change their lives. So we need our faith, our religion to come up under God's prescriptions. God hates religion that he's left out of. We need holy habits. We need stuff we do all the time. Just because, just like Steph Curry shoots 700 to 1,000 shots so that in game time, all his shots go in. God hates the superficial. Lastly, God hates a religion of God substitutes. God substitutes. Verse 26 says, you shall take up Sikath, your king, and Kayun, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves. they are idols that they made. They're actually Assyrian gods and Assyrian idols. And they, Israel had made gods like the culture. He says, and then you made them for yourselves. He says, but I will send you beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. In other words, we always like, we like God how he begins, but then we take it and say, but let me tweak it and twist it and make it like I like. Before you know it, we make our own God, we make our own church, we make our own faith and our own religion and say, I'm not religious. God says, I don't like when you substitute me, my word, my thoughts. C.S. Lewis said something beautiful. I need Christ, not something that resembles him. And so, blueprint, there's a doppelganger out there, and God is being thrown overboard because they think God's religion is like that religion. A religion of the self-righteous, where we love our sin, but we hate others who do the same thing. That religion that's self-focused, where we've constructed it to our own glory and to our own comforts superficial looks like church on the outside but when you look for the justice or the god character that flows down and fills you up we can't find it and now that doesn't have god on the center of the throne but some substitute that resembles him but it's not him and i want to encourage you to lean into the real if you've ever heard of the salvation army a man by the name of general will william booth Created the Salvation Army. You know, they stand out at Christmas time. at least in cities. Ding, 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 ding. And you put some money into the little red thing. Well, the guy who made the Salvation Army once warned his generation. He says, soon there will be religion without the Holy Spirit. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without regeneration. Morality without God. And heaven without hell. That sounds like he saw the day we live in true religion is what God says and what God wants Christ on the throne his praise and his glory is the agenda and I want to encourage you to lean in and double down because it is God and man in that order I conclude with something that a a preacher, an old black preacher, one of the earliest we have on record. It was a sermon. His name was John Jasper. And John Jasper was a preacher and he was preaching to his congregation and he gets heaven right. And what is true about heaven, because heaven also usually gets the shaft. People like heaven because of its streets. They like heaven because of its gates. They like heaven because grandma's going to be there. They like heaven because it's going to be no more sickness, no more crying, and we'll study war no more. But like, sometimes we miss that heaven is about the one who, who is the centerpiece of heaven. I want to be in heaven because he's there. Christ the Lord seated on the throne to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb. That's what it's about. And all the other stuff will come. Well, he was telling his his congregation that and so I'm going to read it. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus and you're not looking forward to this day based on true information, because some people think we're all going to just one day be okay with God. No, the Bible says there is a way to Christ. That we bring him our sins and we lay them at his feet and say please take my sins in exchange for your righteousness because I heard that you died on the cross for sinners like me. I turn from these sins and I want power to be to overcome them and I pray that you will come and you will sit and be resident in my life. I want you to put in me justice Roll down. Roll down your justice. Roll down your righteousness. Roll down your love for holiness. Your love for people. Your love for doing the right thing and turning from the wrong thing your power roll it down into me the bible says that the spirit of god would come in and download in you the character and the person of christ and then when you die you can say like john jasper brothers and sisters when i think of the glory which shall be revealed in us I can visualize that day when old John Jasper's last battle has been fought and the last burden has been borne. I can visualize that day when this tired servant of God shall lay down his burdens and walk up to the battlements of the city of God. Then as I stand outside the beautiful gate, I can almost hear the mighty angel on guard say, John Jasper, you want your shoes? I was going to say, course, I want my shoes, my golden slippers to walk the gold page streets of the city of God. But not now. Then I can hear the mighty angel as he says, John Jasper, don't you want your robe? I's going to say, course, I want my robe, that robe of linen, clean and white, which I'm, which the righteous of the saints, which are for the righteous of the saints. But not now. Then the angel would say, John Jasper, you want your crown? I shall say, course, mighty angel. I want all the reward that's coming to me. This poor black servant of the lamb, but not now. Then the angel would say, John Jasper, Wouldn't you like to see Elijah, the great prophet who called down fire from heaven? Wouldn't you like to shake hands with John, the beloved disciple who leaned on the master's breast at the last supper? Wouldn't you like to shake hands with Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, the greatest church establisher and soul winner of all time? I'll say course, mighty angel. I want to know and to shake hands and to commune with those, the saints of God who have won the incorruptible crown. Yes, I have some loved ones over here I want to see too, but not now. First, I want to see Master Jesus. I want to see him first of all. Let our faith, let our church, let our religion. Be him first of all, and out of what he pours in us, let people have access to him through us. Gracious God and Father, let it be. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.